Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Shoving Wilco. I'm your host, Todd Rossnagel, and it is great to have you along with us. I sure do hope you've had a chance to listen to some of the previous episodes. My interview with author and rock critic Greg Cott is the episode that immediately precedes this one, and it was great. Greg shared some incredible stories about Wilco. So if you get a second, please go back and listen to that one. Specifically, some stories that immediately come to mind are the days immediately following 9-11. And we're going to get into more of that in today's episode with my friend, Philip Mann. As I said when this podcast began, I have wanted to interview folks connected to the band, but I've also wanted to share some of the many conversations I've had with friends over the years about Wilco. We did that extensively in the early episodes with Tim Arnold, and I'd like to do it again today in this episode, this time with an old friend, a fellow colleague of mine, when we worked for the state of Louisiana. Philip was the director of live performance and music industry for Louisiana Entertainment. He now works in Alabama at the Virginia Samford Theater in Birmingham, one of my favorite cities in all of North America. Philip Mann, welcome, my friend, to the Shoving Wilco podcast. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's funny you were talking about we both worked in Louisiana state government and neither one of us were indicted. So that's great. <laughs> we're starting. This is true. <laughs> First order of business. I unindicted. am unindicted. <laughs> I don't know if we're unindicted co-conspirators or co. Oh, I, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, First order of business, Philip. Uh, aside from, of course, talking about our our, our non-criminal records, um, yeah. I'm fully aware that you shove Alabama, specifically the University of Alabama, and you most certainly did that when you lived in Louisiana, and I bet if our cameras were on, you would probably be wearing Alabama swag, but do you shove Wilco on your family and friends? Well, of course I do. You know, it's uh, (laughs) not everyone can live uh, day in and day out as a champion, so you want to be able to share those things with other people. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, yeah. it's funny though. I mean, you know, growing up here, obviously, um, I'm a huge Alabama fan. I'm a huge football fan. I'm a huge Nick Saban fan. Don't hold that against me. But I will say that when I got the job in Louisiana, you know, we're literally pulling into, you know, lived in New York City, moved to Baton Rouge, pulling into Baton Rouge uh, with the U-Haul and everything, my wife's hometown. And I, I there's a billboard on the side of the interstate of Nick Saban being burned in effigy. I'm like, <laughs> man. These people are really pissed off at this guy. <laughs> um, luckily, though, my uh, my time in Louisiana coincided with, you know, the, the, the incredible run of, of Alabama football. Um, you know, it's not quite what it was. And you've got a really great coach now, uh, Brian Kelly, who I, I hate to say that I'm very, very fond of. But the good news is, Todd, if LSU wins the next 37 games, the series will be equal. <laughs> So, so you guys have really, really got something to shoot towards. Um, I do want to say this really quickly before we get into this. I wanted to just give a quick shout out. Uh, rest in peace, Gary Young, who's the original drummer for Pavement, passed away yesterday. Oh wow! And yeah. um, you know, to me, it's 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 really difficult from a generational standpoint. You know, I'm in my early fifties. You know, Wilco and Pavement was certainly is, and remains certainly a big part of 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 that music of that of the generation that i still love 
Um, of course, Wilco is still active doing new music, whereas Pavement is not. But um, honestly, when Gary passed away, Gary was the drummer on um, their, you know, their seminal record, Slanted and Enchanted, which was just came out of nowhere. And they uh, worked a lot with him. He was an older sort of eccentric hippie, but yeah. he brought a lot of the spirit and talent to their early recordings. And I'll be very, very honest with you. The first thing I thought of when he passed away um, since we were doing this today was Jay Bennett. Um, and yeah. his, his role, uh, it, with the band and so many of their seminal recordings. Um, so I, I just wanted to throw that out cause I, I love pavement, um, and Gary Young passed away. And so I just wanted to, uh, uh, send a shout out. Absolutely. Well, I don't remember Philip when I found out that you were a Wilco fan, um, but there's sort of an unspoken bond that Wilco fans have with one another, so let's just start there. What is it about Wilco that you love so much? Well, you know, that's a, that's a really interesting question. When I saw that you were going to ask that question, it's like, I don't really know because, you know, I, I have always, um, uh, I've always <laughs> thought that, you know, there's a bond between Wilco fans and then there's a bond between Bama fans. And the reason is, is because we're so insufferable that no one else wants to hang out with us. So I was hoping that that's not, I'm hoping that's not the case with Wilco fans. But look, I, I think, you know, um, the, the thing about Wilco um, is that, you know, listening to your interview with Greg yesterday, the thing about Wilco to me um, is 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 the honesty mm. um, and the, the sort of the willingness um, besides beyond just the fact that they're incredible musicians and that Jeff is an incredible writer um, is their willingness uh, or Jeff's willingness to be honest um, about life, about uh, all of the good and the bad that come with life, uh, you know, about about suffering and about love and about, you know, confusion and uh, about change. Yeah. Um, I'm hesitant to use the word that it has a specific liter to say that it has a specific literary quality to it. But I think that that's what it is. Um, and I think that, you know, the band and also <laughs> I think another reason Wilco fans have such a great bond is that um, certainly for people of our generation, um, we've been able to grow up with the band, if that makes any sense. And that's oh, not absolutely. something that. Yeah. And that's not something that you really, really uh, get to experience in life a lot, because so many of the artists that you like are are either fresh or they're, they're, you know, I never got to see Led Zeppelin, you know, <laughs> never got to see Jimi Hendrix and uh, all those, those great music from, you know, the 60s and 70s. But, you know, Wilco is a band going all the way back to the Uncle Tupelo days that I've been able to grow up with personally. And I just think that when an artist or artists are willing to, um, uh, to change and to be honest, but also to provide, you know, hope and enjoyment and entertainment and the ability to rock out. Um, you, there's an ownership aspect of it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that, that, that honesty and the fact that we've been able to grow up and, you know, um, the, you're able to identify all of the things that happen in your life with, uh, you know, with artists. And that's one of the role of great artists. And I think Wilco and certainly Jeff are, are, are absolutely bang on with that. 
You are a musician yourself, but a lot of your employment history, most especially of late, has been centered on live performances. And while live performances at the Virginia Sanford Theater are a little different than a Wilco show, in some respect, they're very similar in that it's all about entertainment. How do you describe a live Wilco show? Wow, that's a great question, because the thing about a Wilco show um, is that it's really analogous in a way to uh, to theater, uh, which is the world I, I work in day in and day out, in that it has sort of a beginning and a middle and an end. Especially Wilco shows. Absolutely. There's a there's an arc to it. Um, and again, I don't want to get too hippy dippy, but there's also an arc to life. Mm. And, you know, I've always you know, if you think about live performance and entertainment, you go all the way back to, uh, you know, the Greeks and the Romans. And then, of course, Shakespeare, who's, you know, really the the father of uh, the father of modern theater, father of a lot of things, frankly. But, you know, the Wilco show, to me, uh, there's so much ambience to it. Um, and, and there's a lot of mystery to it as well. You know, I haven't uh, I admit that I haven't seen them in a while. But, it, uh, you know, when I was seeing the band all the time, it would start oftentimes um, softly, quietly, sort of like laying the foundation. Mm-hmm. And as the story of the songs and as the atmosphere of the songs progress, things get, you know, a little more interesting, maybe a little louder, maybe more experimental. Um, you know, when you talk, you get into the meat of the set and you get something like, uh, you know, spiders. Things get more extended and, you know, the music itself um, starts asking questions, you know. Um, and I see a, a really logical arc um, with theater. You have your troubles that come up. You have your antagonists. You have your protagonists. Um, but as things progress, you know, you get to the end of, of the sets. And um, like I said, I haven't seen them in a while. But then things get, you know, celebratory. You know, that you know we're sort of all in this together. Um, and you get into that world where you hear uh, something like a casino queen or heavy metal drummer or I'm a man on the man that loves you. There's sort of some um, redemption, for lack of a better term. But, you know, there's a there's a there's a payoff at the end of all of this stuff that we're all in this together. Um, um, And, uh, you know, we want to have some fun. Well, they most certainly are storytellers when it comes to their live shows. And that, of course, is a perfect segue to what I wanted to talk about with you on this particular episode, Philip. Uh, one of the things uh, that I know about you is that uh, that you were in New York City post 9-11. You were living there when Yankee was released and you were at some of those live shows. I cannot even begin to comprehend especially since we were just talking about this idea that live music is telling a story, those particular songs at that particular time in that particular city, uh, take us back in time to those days. Sure. Uh, you know, I want to tell you a a really brief story that's music related. Um, you know, and I haven't talked about this a lot because I just don't, you know, I talk about it with my family and my friends and whatever. But, 
you know, I moved to New York, I moved to New York city two days before nine 11. Mm. So, um, you know, and I moved, you know, I met my wife when I was working at the Alabama Shakespeare Festival. We weren't married at the time, but I moved up there to um, start my life with her. And uh, um, it was on a Tuesday. It was 9-11. And this is something that all the music nerds that listen to this, I don't know if it's still the same way in the digital medium, but new albums, you know, cassettes, CDs um, and vinyl, they used to always drop on a Tuesday. I don't know if anyone remembers that, at least at least in my world, um, they would always be released physically on a Tuesday. Um, and the apartment um, that my wife had that I moved into was in House Kitchen, 49th and 8th. So it was literally a five minute walk to Times Square. Mm-hmm. At the time, the Virgin Superstore was in Times Square. Um, and so when 9-11 happened, um, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that people in other parts of the country and other parts of the world knew a hell of a lot more about what was going on than we did because we didn't have television we didn't have telephones we didn't have internet we didn't have anything um and you've probably heard people say that it was also one of the most gorgeous days you could possibly imagine and i do remember that i remember that distinctly um but anyway since it was a tuesday i was like well, something's going on. I guess my job and I did. This is another thing I always forget. I had a job interview scheduled um, at American Express um, right down there by the towers. And of course, the subway stopped running. So mm. I didn't go to my job interview. But what I did do, I'm a huge Bob Dylan fan. <laughs> and Bob Dylan's sort of like seminal late period album, Love and Theft, was released on that date. And uh, I was like, well, to hell with it. It's a beautiful day. I'm going to take a walk into Times Square and go to the Virgin Superstore and buy the new Bob Dylan album. Yeah. Um, and it was one of the strangest, still probably the strangest experiences I've ever had in my life. I walked into Times Square, you know, New York City, and I, there was no one there. Wow. And I was like, this is, I, I didn't really know, you know, the extent of sort of what was going on by any stretch of the imagination so you know i went back to our place and got up on our roof um because that was where a lot of people hung out in new york city on their roofs and you know we could see the smoke so we knew it wasn't good um but when i really knew um that it wasn't good is when f-16 started buzzing right over our heads Mm. and i was and it was the loudest sound i've ever heard in my life and it was really really shocking um uh so it was and i'm sure the word surreal gets overused um but it really 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 was um it, uh, it was surreal but um but we're here to talk about wilka and we're talking about yankee hotel foxtrot and you, the, the when the record came out um like i said i was a you know huge uncle tupelo fan big wilco fan um i loved am you know i loved being there uh, I loved everything really that they had done. And of course, when the, when the album first came out, we all know the history of the album, but one of my the best parts about the album is that Warner brothers paid for it twice. Um, <laughs> that, that's a great, great it is. that's a wonderful uh, little story. But um, when I first got the album, I remember uh, playing it. And um, my first response was, what in the hell is this?
the first parts of it, you know, the first musical parts of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot with the sort of the uh, uh, the drum, the abrasive minimalist drum parts come in and then something comes in that sounds like a, a winding clock. And then you hear uh, the, the old upright piano sound that sounds like it's this old piano that was like left in, a, in, a, in an old church basement and forgotten. Um, I was like, this is sort of a, uh, this is very theatrical to me. It's creating an atmosphere. It's creating, it's a collage of sounds. And of course, you know, sound collages are something that, you know, Jeff is apparently very, very into. So I was immediately um, very, very excited about it. It immediately created a vibe. It's like analogous to your other, to your other question. It's like when the lights go out mm. in a theater, when you have your blackout. Yeah, You're like, yeah, something yeah. really, really interesting is about to happen here. Um, and then from that cacophony of sounds, you hear this really, really sort of stripped down, sounds like an old beat up acoustic guitar, just strumming that jing, 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 jing. jing. And then you hear the first lyrics. I am an American aquarium drinker. I assassin down the avenue. I'm an American aquarium drinker. I assassin down the avenue. And something really, really profound happened to me when I first heard that song. Um, because the first lyric that jumped out to me was I assassin down the avenue. Uh, I didn't know what that meant, but I was living in a big city for the first time. And uh, I was spending all my time, you know, walking on the avenues, walking on the sidewalks, walking around and just taking in all of the sights and sounds around me. Um, and it just immediately it's really hard to describe sort of verbally, but it kind of felt very, very personal like that I was connected to this music in some way and I was connected to the experiences that came out of this music. Um, now, as time progressed, because I think the record came out, was it early O2, Todd? Um, yeah, yep. yeah, early O2. Um, things got kind of <laughs> dicey for me uh, personally, uh, because, you know, you move to New York City, you have all of these plans and these wishes and these dreams and job interviews and all this sort of stuff, and it all went away. You know, it all went away in a snap of a finger. So um, the album became, you know, very, very personal to me from an emotional standpoint. Um, you know, I think about a song like uh, uh, Camera, um, phone my family and tell them I'm lost. And no, it's not okay. And for me personally, it wasn't, right? It was a very, very traumatic time to start a new life. Um, but it was that honesty of the lyrical content that was really, 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 um, that really, really landed with me about this record. Now, musically, I was in heaven. And I'll tell you why, because I'm a drummer. And... <laughs> And I'm also uh, a big uh, fan of minimalist music, uh, specifically Steve Reich. Mm. And, uh, you know, Glenn 
his drumming. And of course, you, you can't have the conversation about this record without, without talking about Jim O'Rourke and what he did. And, you know, to me, this record is a perfect example of addition by subtraction. And mm. I, I think what Jim did, you know, if I'm not mistaken, you, I'll tell you an amazing record to listen to if you want to talk about this record is Loose Fur, yeah, obviously, yeah. with Jim and Glenn and Jeff. Um, uh, and what Jim did, um, this deconstructionist approach to their music and the way that he interspersed rhythm um, when it was needed and took it out when it wasn't needed, but also just the really, really sparse distant percussion you know the sounds of a mallet just pounding out a really simple beat on a floor tom and something like a radio cure and the way it made me think about you know the drumming of uh of of, of mo from the velvet underground mm. the whole thing just really really um it was so exciting to me because it, it, it kind of felt like um, it was completely out of time because you could not really associate time with it. My mind is filled with silvery stars. So it became um, uh, sort of this like postmodern experience for me because if you listen to something like am and you listen to being there even though being there he started getting more into the uh sort of the lyrical content that you know takes your breath away like you know uh, uh, dreamed about killing you again last night and it felt all right to me it's like w what on earth where does that come from mm. um but the music on am and being there obviously you can still hear a lot of that no depression uh, all country vibe to it, you know, right. um, but th when you get to this record, it's obvious that Jeff's um, a huge palette of music um, started really being able to come out, you know, um, so it, the record just grew on me and I, I couldn't stop listening to it. Um, but I will tell you the experience that, uh, that again is very, very difficult to describe. Uh, I, I don't remember the exact date, but it was the first one of, or if not the first times the band played in New York after 9-11. And they played, um, there's this thing, I don't know if they still do it, called um, Summer Stage at Central Park. Um, and the band played and it was outdoors. Um, and it again, <laughs> it's, it's shockingly beautiful day outside, you know, seeing a, uh, a show outside in Central Park and they sounded fantastic, but man, it, they played Ashes of American Flag. When they play this song, um, I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but I think grief and sorrow is not just a 
personal thing. Um, when you're among people that have been through something like 9-11 and, you know, of course I didn't lose anybody, but, you know, I'm sure some of these people, everybody know, knew somebody that lost somebody or lost someone themselves. But this grief and sorrow literally was hanging in the air. I would like to salute the ashes of American flags and all the falling leaves filling up shopping bags. I could feel the grief and and the sorrow and uh, and the shock. Yeah. Um, hanging in the air um, and I've, I haven't had a, an experience like that since then um, but you know even though at the time it was sad it's also a really really uh, valuable sort of phenomenal thing that art music can help us process these things and, and it's really obvious to me you know uh, you know segue to a ghost is born um, the fact that artists, guys like Jeff, um, are willing to lay it out there and experience the suffering themselves and go through this suffering, um, I know it helps them, but I think real artists also understand how much it can help their listeners. I'm not This record, uh, I think <laughs> it, it had a lot of dark corners to it, you know, but it also had areas of, uh, you know, uh, heavy metal drummers on there and, <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> you know, right. and, you know, and heavy metal drummers great because it talks about a lot of the stuff that, you know, Greg was talking about, about, you know, something like a being there where he's trying, where Jeff is trying to sort of rekindle that flame, rekindle that spirit that sort of time in your life when you're an adolescent and you're, you're rocking out playing, playing kiss covers, beautiful and stoned. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, I miss the innocence I've known. Yeah. Yeah. And so that I just wasn't used to, um, I was used to that sort of honesty in, you know, other areas and plays, you know, you know, death of a salesman, Arthur Miller and stuff like that. But to hear the, the, the starkness of some of the things that, that, that Jeff said on this record, but also to create just this aural atmosphere behind it. Um, it's, you know, it's, you're transported, man.
and it changed the way I look at music entirely, you know, um, for lack of a term, popular music, how I look at it and what's capable um, and what people are um, what people are willing to do as artists and the willingness also of, of the listener. Because, you know, the way I feel about good art um, across genres, not just music, visual art and theater and dance is that when it's really good, there's something going on besides just cause and effect, right? There's this other thing that happens where Jason Robarts used to talk about this with Eugene O'Neill, where time stops. Mm. And the first part of Yankee Hotel, I remember the first time I listened to it, I was like, I've never heard anything like this in my entire life, and boy, do I want more. But I'm not gonna get Speaking of songs from that album and hearing your story and what was happening with you and what would eventually happen in New York City with you and, for that matter, the entire city of New York, I have to ask you about War on War. Uh, You have to lose. You have to learn how to die if you want to be alive. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's another, you know... um, it's another lyric that when you first hear it, you're kind of shocked. You're like, what on earth are you talking about? Right. Um, But to me, um, there's a, there's a uh, Wilco DVD um, that I forget the name of it. It, Maybe it's actually called ashes of an American of American flags. It's the DVD where they're playing. They play like in Kane's ballroom in Tulsa and they play in Mobile and then they end up playing at Tipitina's, you know, because yeah, uh, yeah, John, yeah, yeah. John is from, uh, John is from, is he from Covington? He's That's from right. Mandeville, which is Mandeville, where I'm okay. from as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but th- there's a really, it's funny that you bring up, you have to learn how to die um, because there's a, a scene, a visual scene in that DVD um, where, um, Jeff is narrating, and I believe there's the the, the visual is the the tour bus uh, going down the interstate um, through you know the I think they talk about this sort of like lost America, this Midwest sort of America. Um, but there's this narration that Jeff is giving um, about suffering, about human suffering, and he mentions the notion that everyone suffers and that suffering is inevitable, but there is a way to, um, to live that you can find ways to transcend this suffering. I think art is the ultimate way to do that. Um, you know, compassion, love, all of those things. But when I think of the lyric, you have to learn how to die. Um, I think about that scene, too, because it feels to me like Jeff's um, description of suffering and, frankly, the the necessity and the inevitability of going through um, suffering and life professionally, personally, physically, etc., in order to get to the other side and the understanding that, yes, life can really suck and you can really suffer but once you realize that things, these things are inevitable and many times there's nothing you can do about it, then 
you can really start to live. And that's the way I think about that lyric in War on War. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned the DVD of Ashes of American Flags because yeah. on the cover of that DVD is a bridge. And specifically, uh, the truss or the, the, the thing that is holding that bridge up. And I can't help but think about how when we, as you say, inevitably we're going to be going through suffering or challenges in our life. We need to not only get on the other side of that suffering, but we need someone, something, a community to hold us while we're making that journey to the other side. No, I agree and, with and, that. Yeah, and 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 I I say this, and I do not mean it flippantly because yeah. I am the host of a Wilco podcast. But <laughs> Wilco's yeah. music has been, um, in addition to Christ and my 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 sure. journey as a Christian. Yes. Um, Wilco has been that 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 thing that has held me together. We we talked about it earlier. Uh, this this canon of music that has yeah. been our our lives. That's um, right. Wilco that's right. has 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 helped me get to the other side. Yeah, and I think that that's a, absolutely valid and worthwhile to bring up because you know you can um, you can have faith in anything, right? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Uh, and 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 you know. Uh, you know, what's the line? Uh, uh, well, hell, Jeff even said he was saved by rock and roll, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> he was, but he was all, and, but it's a nut, since we're talking about this concept, this, this uh, duality of, of, of suffering and transcendence, but he was also maimed by it. That's right. <laughs> and, and, and so I think that, you know, I, I sure hope we're not entirely off base with what he's thinking about when he writes these things. Uh, but uh, I, I've, I've gotten so much value out of his lyrical approach. Let's switch gears for a moment and get back yeah. uh, to, to kind of unpacking the the, the albums of, of Wilco. You have yeah. heard some of those early episodes here on the Shoving Wilco podcast where uh, Tim and I, and Tim, by the way, is a if you are an Alabama fan, he is as rabid an Auburn fan. So there's that. Well, you, um, you're not going to want to have us both on the same program. <laughs> I think I, mean, I do <laughs> want to have both of you. Um, but we played the admittedly ridiculous game of start bench cut. So let's play it now. This, uh, this is kind of brutal, though. You know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, okay. I'll do so, <laughs> you know, based on what we've already heard in this episode, I, I think your starter for albums is going to have to be Yankee. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Without question. I mean, it's like, uh, yeah, for sure. For All sure. right. But, so what is your bench? What's, what's the album that uh, just has a soft spot in your heart? May not be, um, you know, of course, all of Wilco's albums are well known, but um, the one that just, uh, if it's after Yankee, the next one. Summer Teeth. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know that that, uh, that that record for me is uh, everything that I've been talking about with Yankee, uh, Summer Teeth. Certainly, from an emotional perspective, is on the same level for me. Now, the music I also absolutely adore because I'm a huge power pop guy, mm. um, huge power pop guy, and I'm also a big 
um, um, Beach Boys guy yep, and just yep, the yep. whole pop genre, big star, all of that stuff. And that record, um, I, I just absolutely adored it. I'll be honest with you. I was into so much music that I didn't really get in, explore Summer Teeth until after Yankee, right? Mm, because right, right, right. I was an AM guy and a being there guy and Summer Teeth kind of, well, I mean, you know, they got dropped, right? And so Summer Teeth was not, if I'm, if I can recall, was not uh, commercial success. And of course, it's clear that Jeff and Jay were going through a lot of personal struggles during the making of that record as well. But I just think it's phenomenal. Um, and if anyone in the band ever hears this, please play ELT more often. It's like an impossible <laughs> song. There's like one YouTube video of them playing ELT. I should have been listening. great big pop record it's really really heavily that's to me that's the jay bennett record right yeah, i mean like yeah, yeah. he brought out you know everything that jay was capable of um from vocally as a producer all the instruments he played he left it all on the field yeah, for lack of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and that was a, a stunning record stunning record So if you have to cut something, God, man, that's this is brutal. Um, a, a, a perfectly acceptable answer is I'm not playing this game anymore. No, I'll <laughs> play the game, and if I have to cut something, it's Star Wars. Okay, okay. And look, you know, it's interesting. I don't dislike the record by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, I'm a selfish music fan, right? In other words, it's like, you know. And that's that's why artists, great artists like Jeff accomplish so much because they don't hold on. You know, they mm. don't try to live in the past. But, um, you know, I was so I mean, and of course, you know, Summer Teeth, Yankee, Ghost is Born. Just I mean, these are just this is a stunning triptych of records. Right, you know, right, it's, right, it's right. you know, something like and I'll tell you, I know you didn't ask, but. Um, Muzzle of Bees to me is one of the most stunning pieces of music that I've ever heard in my life. Well, Philip, thanks again, friend. Um, really appreciate you carving time out of uh, what I know is a very busy schedule to join us here on the Shoving Wilka podcast. Take it easy, brother. Peace. Our thanks again to Philip Mann joining us here on the podcast from Birmingham, Alabama. If you have enjoyed this podcast, share it with a friend. We'd really appreciate it. Until next time, have a great day, everyone. Mm-hmm.